Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, Ask the Strategists. I'm Jake Burns, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Ashit Bashrajani and Brian Landerman. Today, we talk about outsourcing migrations versus using an existing team, one of the most common questions we get from customers. So guys, we, we recently did an event, uh, online virtual executive event, and Ashit, you were uh, one of the speakers and, and moderators there. Um, one of the questions we got was, uh, should I outsource my uh, migration? In other words, should I bring in consultants to go do it, or should I try to use my own team? So that'd be an interesting topic for us to uh, dive into here. That's a pretty common uh, question that we get, Jake. So uh, yeah, I think we can uh, certainly talk about it. A lot of customers are looking for uh, advice on that. Yeah. So um, maybe we could talk about our own experience there and kind of what we're seeing other customers do. Yeah, I mean that was that was a big question for us at, at Cox Automotive. We, you know, had a, done a bunch of acquisitions over forty, and so we had a huge mix of different partners, different models. Some were some of our areas were big into contractors um, because they felt like they could be more fluid and adapt to kind of changing business needs throughout the year. And I was really pushing hard to move more towards having folks in house that were, were doing the work to build those long running teams that could get assigned to products and, and have that, that ownership. So contractors certainly were really challenging in that sort of environment. So there was a couple of things that, that we were doing there, which was consolidating partners, finding partners that would work with us to build out teams. So even, even if they were a, a team through our, our partner, it was, okay, here's what you own. We have corresponding product owners for you and they, they're iterating on a product. So it was, we tried to ma- match it up to what we did with our team members and as much as possible. And, and where we couldn't, we really pushed to do, um, you know, like a train the trainer type of model, uh, teach, teach them to fish, right? Not just outsource the work and, and have it be done and then have people move on and, and lose that IP, you know, over time. So, it was important that it was like a shoulder to shoulder. You can supplement our our team, but I still need my team to own this. I still need them to have the knowledge of of how to build it, avoid throwing it over the wall, you know that sort of thing. So that was that was really the kind of direction that we were headed in um, at, at Cox Automotive. But I do this this comes up a ton. I'd, I'd love to hear what what you guys did at, at your positions. So. Um... Two things that I have kind of applied in making these decisions uh, is one, uh, never outsource a problem. And second, uh, don't outsource anything that you cannot manage. Uh, and when I mean by manage, I don't mean managing outsourcing contract or a deal, but, but something on a similar line that Brian, you talked about where uh, you are augmenting and supplementing and bringing certain expertise, but you're not outsourcing the ownership uh, of that. Um, uh, so those are the two sort of uh, principles I've used. Uh, in my experience, I would rely quite a bit on partners throughout, uh, not just for our cloud migration, but uh, for uh, products that we were building, um, for support, uh, for trying out and bringing, uh, new technology areas and experimenting with it. Um, and, and like with most of the things, it is not, uh, an answer of do it or don't do it. It's really about how you do it. Uh, and, and what are the fundamental uh, guardrails that you set around that relationship? 
because I do think that it can help you. Finding the right partner and having the right partner can actually help you accelerate uh, the journey quite a bit. Yeah, well, I, I think it's I, – I heard you kind of separating – a little bit and my mind went to say I've been a part of a lot of conversations where you know the big question is okay I'm moving to the cloud how do I segment my team or who gets to work on what you know and and who's on the old stuff who gets the new stuff and um I I agree with you I think that the kind of maintenance and support um, is a great spot. So we looked for what are the things that we're going to carry will eventually be retired and can we outsource those things? So not not my net new product, not my you know net new architecture and, and cloud native development, but but what about my RPG on the i series that you know we're slowly replacing with cloud native microservices, right? Um, so that I I think that's a great approach. But but the other thing I heard you say, which I totally agree with, is how do you surround yourself with the expertise you need when you're making moves into new technology or you know whether that's AI or AR, VR, whatever it is, you definitely need that expertise. And the thing that I liked as a customer about like AWS professional services, as an example, is that it wasn't intended to be a long running engagement where they like became an extension of your team. It was more about, okay, well, what problem are we trying to solve? Let's help you solve that and make sure you do it well and teach you how to do it so that you can eventually have ownership and, and sustain it on your own. And I, I really liked that model more than I think you can fall into a trap with some partners where you get too comfortable with them having ownership and, you know, what may be intended as a project or a short, short term thing. It's like, oh, wow, you've you've been working with us on this for years, you know, four years, five years later, you know. Yeah, we, we had some uh, really long running relationships um, and uh, we treated those teams as sort of part of our teams. And so. Some of the things that we have talked about in other episodes uh, around culture, aligning around common principles and tenets, um, certain codes and behaviors, awards and the rewards that we talked about, we extended all of that uh, without making a distinction based on the color of the badge. And the way I, I, I think about that is don't do it for cost arbitrage, right? That is That is a wrong way to do it. Don't do it for the lack of willingness to invest in your own people and hire, build, and train for the skills that you need to do. Um, but at the same time, um, I think you benefit a lot by getting a perspective from partners who work with many, many customers and companies. They have actually seen and dealt with situations uh, that are unique uh, and can truly uh, push boundaries even on uh, how you architect and build new products. So I've had great success with not just maintenance and support, but even using partners for building new products uh, and having those relationships uh, over a long period of time. Yeah. It does require a lot of work and investment on your part. Well, so I was going to ask you, one of the things that I worried about, and I, I looked, especially as we were moving to cloud and, and adopting new technologies, I was kind of reflecting back and I'm like, man, none of my partners are challenging us to say, why are you still operating this way? They were like fine with the status quo, right? Because they they kept collecting <laughs> the the paycheck, right? And I think a good partner <laughs> makes you better, right? And brings you along, mm -hmm. even if it means like like take AWS as an, as an example. You know, the, all the price cuts we've done over the many years that we've we've been operating. Um, if you look at uh, cost optimization, right? It's 
it's not about AWS getting more money. It's about you being efficient and you leveraging the the base. And so I want to find a partner like that, that is going to go and not get complacent and not allow me to maintain the status quo, but, but actually help push me forward and help make me better. Um, so how did you, how did you kind of prevent that? And, and how'd, or how'd you go about choosing the, the right partners, I guess? is interesting. I, th- I think our customers would benefit from that. Yeah, great great question. I think for me, it starts with how you structure the deal, right? If your deal parameters are structured based on uh, what I talked about as cost arbitrage, where it is around squeezing uh, the most out of the partner, uh, defining uh, very stringent SLAs, right? Now, Measurement and service level agreements are very important, but a lot of outsourcing deals and contract uh, lean too much, uh, too heavily on those parameters, right? Fixed price contract, deliver this by certain date, uh, on-time delivery, uh, here's the you know upper limit and lower control limit, and if you don't meet that, you are punished, right? And, and, and sometimes uh, there are financial penalties associated with that. And so looking at the deals and structuring the deals in a way that there is something for partner and you both. Uh, and it is not designed to um, uh, incentivize them constantly doing the sort of maintaining the status quo and doing it in the most efficient manner, right? Because if you, if you incentivize and your commercial deal is around all about cost and taking cost out and doing the work in the cheapest possible way, then that is the behavior you're going to get, get because there is really no incentive for them to push the boundary. So that's one. Second is, I think, uh, maintaining the partner diversity. And that is from a standpoint of picking the best partner based on the problem that we are trying to solve for. Um, and that helps keep the friendly competition going, right, for the business, but it also makes every partner better. And the third thing is be open to truly extending your team into a partner's team, right? So um, it's important you're a customer, right? But it's important that uh, we often talk about internally IT and business becoming and getting into this sort of vendor customer relationship right now obviously partners are your vendors but at the same time don't 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 over uh, leverage that power uh, dynamics right uh, that means that uh, you need to be open to you need to be asking questions you need to be curious and you also need to be um, uh, willing to put in time like we actually f- send people over to our partner place, we sent senior leaders uh, and rotated them where they actually traveled to wherever the teams were uh, and then spent time with them. We actually invited people who were working uh, in other location to come and spend time with our team uh, for a period of time. Little things, right, like interactions every month or every quarter, we would actually make sure that they are done over video rather than over phone calls so that that extended team feels like they are one team. Uh, and then not differentiating way too much on, uh, hey, you are a consultant and your color of the badge is different than uh, an employee out here. So maybe I'll take a kind of an opposing view on that that last point. Um, so so the way I kind of look at this is um, there's a lot of um, w- there's a lot of ways you can win by doing this uh, in an effective way. And there's there's also conversely a lot of a lot at stake if you do it the wrong way. Um, I think a big part of it is uh, team morale. So I see a lot of internal teams um, kind of morale get get damaged 
by bringing in consultants and, and outsiders to do kind of the big transformation project. And there's kind of, it's kind of obvious why that happens, right? And so for me, I, I, I like to place a lot of emphasis on, you know, this idea that you are the core team, you are, you know, our full-time employees are the ones that we're going to invest in. And we are reliant upon you to not only uh, build this, but also to maintain it long term. And so it's a very consistent story uh, that works kind of for all involved, in my opinion. You know, you say, you know, we're going to invest in you. We're going to train you um, and we're going to bring in outside help in two scenarios. One is um, to kind of take away this undifferentiated heavy lifting, kind of what you were speaking to before, Brian, about, you know, RPG and all of these things you don't want to be dealing with. You're not learning anything by dealing with this. You're not growing. It's going to go away eventually. There's no future in it. It's a dead end. So we're going to give that to the outsiders. And it's going to free up your time to build the interesting things. And then kind of to your to your point of shit um, about um, leveraging experts, I think that's the second scenario. So I'll bring in those who've done it before, because let's face it, right? You need someone who's done this before. Um, you need to leverage that experience if you're going to kind of maximize your your uh, potential for success. And so don't ignore that. Bring those folks in as well, but don't have them be hands-on keyboard primarily uh, and do the work. Let your team do the work. Let them kind of show them how to do it, teach them how to fish, fish so to speak. And by doing that um, and and kind of back to kind of how I, I'm making a counterpoint to what you what you said, I would make a deliberate effort to make a distinction between the outsiders and the core team to make the core team feel special and enthusiastic and excited about doing this. Yeah, I think I I, I agree on the first two part. I think we agree on those two, right? To say, well, mm-hmm. there are two ways that you can engage in this this, uh, this kind of deal. Uh, one is where you offload undifferentiated work. Uh, when you do that, though, uh, don't expect, to Brian's point earlier, that partner is going to now go and push the limit because you are actually telling them to say, hey, here is a work that we don't want to do and, you know, we are giving it to you, right? Uh, so that's a different mindset. You need to go into those kind of deals with uh, optimizing um, and doing it in the most cost-efficient, time-efficient manner as possible, right? The second part of bringing in experts um I disagree with uh, making the distinction of uh, here is the core team, you're special, and here are the outsiders. Uh, when you do that, um, you know you you really don't get you really don't get the culture and the morale that that you want to get. And reality is that, like I had and many enterprises have, uh, you have a vast percentage of your team, extended team, consists of partners, uh, and when you start treating them differently, I don't think that. Uh, by treating them uh, as part of the team takes away anything from the core team. You're still, the ownership is still ultimately with you, right? So that's why a lot of time in negotiation when partners talk about, oh, well, we have the skin in the game, right? Well, it's great at the end of the day, if things don't work, it's, you you may have the skin in the game commercially, right? But it's actually my neck in the line, right? On the line. So, right, right. so it's very clear that your team, your leadership, your engineers, your product folks uh, who are the employee are still, they have a greater skin in the game and they have the ownership. Um, but I, I, I find these deals go south or where uh, these relationships become very transactional. When the team's working on a day-to-day basis, starts to differentiate a lot between, you know, whether somebody is an employee or a contractor. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it 
completely depends on the situation, right? I'm thinking of a situation where, and, I, and I've seen these, where the, the team morale is not in a good place to begin with. And kind of the one of the main reasons for that is that they feel like you're bringing in people to replace us, right? And I'm kind of engineering myself out of a job or I'm not qualified to do this work. And so you're bringing in people who are qualified. So in that kind of scenario, I would certainly make that that distinction in order to make them kind of get them okay with it. If you if you do this that way, right, where to say I'm bringing somebody to replace you because, you know, I'm not investing in you. Right. That's a different story versus you are actually you're doing I don't think it's one or the other. You can reinvest, reskill, hire, train, invest in your people while also surround them with other people who have done it before and they are expert. In fact, in my experience, at all levels, the teams loved working with the partners because it now that's up to the leadership to send that signal, right? And not that, hey, and, and communicate it. When you do these deals, it is very, very important to communicate it. If somebody one fine day walks in with, you know, an army of 50 people, right, working on a project, then there is a shock, right? It's about how right. you communicate, whether you bring those folks along. In fact, um, in our case, we made people at all level part of the decision as to how we picked the partner, who we decided to bring in, what were we identified, who the key roles were. And our engineers, our architects, our leaders actually interviewed and, and worked with them, selected them, not only based on technical skills, but also based on the fit that uh, the kind of behavior and the culture we wanted to create within the team. So mm -hmm. it's not one or the other. I think you have to you have to do it in a manner that the, the whole team feels part of it. And then you have to connect the dot for them as to why it's better for the overall outcome we are trying to achieve. I see both sides, right? And I think what we're getting down to is it really depends on how you set it up and how you set it up can make or break everything. I mean, I, I agree, Jake, that I, I think when you're mixing people, like especially if you're bringing in contractors, it, it's like, well, what's their purpose? And if they're my equal, like, well, then why aren't they just an employee? Like, what's why are you why are you setting it up this way and treating us all equals? So like there has to be a clear message there. So I, I agree with you. I think how you communicate it matters. But look, I've talked to several customers. They have become so reliant on partners that they are stuck. Like when we were talking about their transformation, they can't do it. And I, I don't know why you would want right. to put your business in a place where that's your reality. Because I, I think the stuff we talk about is, you know, change is constant and, and you need to get into that, that. Um, that sort of culture and, and be more agile as a business and be able to respond and, and learn new skills. If that's the new reality, why would you want to have to rely on a partner that, I mean, frankly, a lot of the, the, um, systems integrators are struggling to keep up, right? Like they're having to transform themselves to then be able to help transform their customers. Mm -hmm. And, and now you're reliant on them doing that. And you're in this place where you don't have as much control or influence to be able to make that sort of change. So I do really believe in that. I think you have to have a solid core. And if you don't have it, you need to build it. And maybe you rely on partners to build it. But right now, based on what's going on and, and what, what businesses need to do, I, I think that has to be the direction. It, it, it can't be kind of what you were talking about, Ishid. I think there's there are a lot of uh, enterprise customers that, you know, they might have more their if you look at a percentage breakdown, I bet they have more percent in in partner, whether you're talking about people or spend 
um, but compared to their their employees doing the work, I, I think that's a bad place to be right now. Yeah, I think that is where that is where I feel that it's about how, to your point, how it is structured, right? If you have, in many cases, that overdependence come from the fact that they have outsourced a problem, right? Meaning, mm-hmm. not that I'm choosing not to support RPG on iSeries, but the fact that I simply don't know how to do it. That's why I'm actually hiring someone. Uh, and then I'm going to outsource the entire problem to them, right? Because now you are held hostage of that relationship. Right. Uh, or the second thing is that uh, what I talked about is that they have outsourced something that they don't know how to manage or, or own, right? So that's the, I think that's the kind of relationship. Going back to, uh, and I know I'm kind of uh, harping on this point because I think it's an important point about the culture, about if we flip it on the head, the reality is that there is a large percentage of, uh, and we can debate what the right mix is, right? I agree that if if your mix is extremely skewed towards uh, external contractors and partners, um, then, then you have something to lo- uh, look at. But even if we keep that aside, let's say even if in a large enterprise, it's only 10% or 20%, that's still a large number. And by creating that distinction of not treating your contractors as part of the team equally, uh, you, well, 20% of your population isn't really, is there to uh, come in, clock and actually do the work that you hired them to do and not really put their heart into it. So it's the same, same thing I can flip it and talk about and say, why would you want a large percentage of people working with your teams every day feel like they are different. So the reason, um, again, and I think there are situations, I really like the scenario that you're, that you're talking about. And, and if you can achieve that, I think that's ideal. But in my mind, you know, in, in the reality of the ones I've been in the loop on and in my own experience is, you know, the single biggest factor that's going to determine your success or failure is your own team. And, and how prepared they are and how motivated they are um, um, to do the work. And so I kind of put, I'm kind of all in on that. And so for that reason, I see, you know, just these kind of very specific ways to use external folks, um, you know, to, to kind of make their life better. So in the one way, we're taking away the work that you don't want to do. And then on the other side, we're making you smarter and better and more skilled. And they're only there for that reason. And you are the people who are going to make this success or failure. So, you know, we're all in on you. And it's kind of that that attitude. And that's that's the reason why. Now, if you're going to have the contractors there long term and they're going to truly be working alongside your team, then I agree with your approach. Right. Um, it just hasn't been my experience. The contractors are there long term. Why are you going the route of contractors? Unless you're unless you're swapping people in and out, and you're like, well, right now I need this right. piece of expertise, and you're gonna, and then I need this one, so you'll just swap contractors in and out. But now you're talking about different people, and so now you're like losing the connection to the culture mm-hmm. and and the part of the team if the people are swapping out. So if we're talking about a long term single individual, right, that is contracting, why are you going the contractor route and not hiring that skill set onto your team? I'm not talking about a single individual contracting and a person dependency, right? Which is the same way I would treat any dependency on the team, whether it was my employee or a contractor. I would manage it the same way. I'm talking about a ongoing relationship with strategic partners that extend beyond 
transactional project and basically bringing in bodies to do work. And there are many reasons to have that ongoing relationship. A, um, with a large relationship, you build competencies about your business within the partner that extend beyond several individuals that are working on your team. Uh, B, uh, you have several different skill set projects, initiatives that are going on that are cyclical in nature. Uh, and so you may want to keep the relationship going while uh, product project initiative can come and go. C, you have uh, requirements that are global in nature uh, and and you don't want to uh, spin up uh, an office and hire five people in every little geography that you operate. And you want to make sure that you have right people on the ground, especially when you're building out new businesses. Like in our case, we were acquiring uh, joint ventures that were very small entities. Uh, and sometimes you don't even know if those businesses are going to be viable long term or we might be uh, packaging, consolidating, selling them. Right. Uh, so there are, I think there are many, many reasons to uh, have long term relationship with uh, with the contractors. No different than how customers have long term yeah. uh, relationship with AWS. I love that you just uh, gave some more specific examples because I think it's really helpful to understand your thinking and, and how you used it. And, but what I, what I heard there is, um, something that I think we've all talked about, but not necessarily been explicit about, which is that you need to have a strategy and be intentional about what you do and when. And, uh, that was one of the things that we were, we were doing at Cox Automotive. It was like, well, it takes me three to six months to stand up a scrum team. That's not responsive enough for the business. So, how do I get something off the ground faster, right? Or, or to your point, like opening a new business in a new area, like that could be really take you a long time if you're starting from scratch. That's a great place to use a partner. And it's great to develop a, a playbook and a strategy around how you get off the ground quickly. But I think I think that that's the core though, is like, what is your strategy? Are you intentional about who you use, how you use them, why you use them, what that interaction is going to look like, how long they're going to be a part of your team. You have to be intentional. And I think that I would bet that if a lot of leaders kind of stepped back and, and looked around their organization, that they've kind of fallen in to their current state, right? And, and, it, and that it's probably not perfectly aligned to the strategy they would define now and perhaps not as intentional as they would have liked. I know that was that was our situation. And so we were kind of working to correct that. Couldn't agree more. Uh, it, it's all about being intentional and having the strategy, right? Yep. In fact, it's one of the major, if you look at sort of budgets, right? That's a big part of where the money is being spent. So it's about having a strategy as to why you're doing it and, and being mindful of how exactly you set up and how you do that. And we kind of touched upon some of the aspects of the thought process there. The core message, right, for me, when I talk to customer is it's not a simple don't do it, right. do it. Right. Or, you know, have contractors, don't have contractors. Build everything in-house, don't build everything in-house. It is not simplistic, right? It is It is really about be mindful and treat it as a very, very important decision and then, and then figure out and structure it in a way that benefits you, your team, and the outcome you're trying to achieve. So did you have contractors participate in your innovation lab? Absolutely. <laughs> Tech lab. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, then you're consistent at least. <laughs> many of our uh, many of our long term uh, uh, partners uh, employees uh, became our employees too. Right. Right. And that's a great point. Right. So you're kind of treating them 
as as part of your team it's it's a intentional strategy that you're you're putting into play that makes complete sense to me yeah good route if you can can get it yeah so i think um kind of in summary then there's there's many approaches that can work there's definitely some themes here um that that are patterns of success you know these things that maybe it's 90 Five, 98% that we completely agree on. I, I think if we talk long enough, we probably get to 100% because yep. I think we're kind of saying the same thing like in a true. lot of ways. Um, but but really, the key seems to still be a problem if we agree 100%. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So we'll, we'll, we'll cut it off before that happens. Um, but <laughs> I think the main thing is really like have a strategy, right? Have a strategy, understand why you're putting this strategy in place and then kind of uh, execute on that strategy. And if you have to course correct, then course correct, but, but don't go in kind of with this black or white kind of, it has to be this way or the other. It's really kind of do what makes sense, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. And well, and, and I think the status quo is a really important piece, right? Too is, is when, you, as you're building that strategy, one, one, refresh it, and have that be regularly kind of examine that and make sure that you're not just doing what you've always done. Um, at, you know, as you're developing that strategy and, and be intentional about the partners you select, because that's, I think that's an important piece too. Yeah. I think transformation, you can't do it alone, right? You cannot do it alone. And, and I also think that it is one more way to provoke the change mm-hmm. and it could be a catalyst as well, right? So you're not only augmenting expertise, you're also creating a, a change in the system, right? You, you have to break the equilibrium. When it comes to outsourcing versus using existing teams, a big recommendation is to have a strategy and surround yourself with the expertise you need in a way that gives you support and ownership, something we had a great discussion about today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and remember to submit your questions on our enterprise strategy blog or directly to us on LinkedIn, and we'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. See you next time.